Welcome to episode 7 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast, recorded on Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and I'm joined by co-host Jack Chambers and today we'll be talking about BERT and how it understands language, which is a new primer that Google have released, the rollout of the page experience update for desktop, a large and rather important vulnerability found in a popular WordPress plugin, and really exciting news on a new Google Shopping experience scorecard. Search with Canva is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their excellent free tools, such as checking out your visibility index, Google Update Impact, Keyword Research, and Page Speed Checker. And I will skip the next bit because I'm not talking about Trendwatch. That's systrix.com slash SWC for free tools and systrix.com slash academy for the Systrix Academy, which we'll talk about later on in the show. I thought it'd be really good to kick off this show with a really nice BERT primer that Google's just released on YouTube. And it sounds like this. If a pancake recipe told you to mix the batter with the banana, you probably wouldn't think to use the banana as a mixing spoon. But what's obvious to humans, things like context, tone, and intention, are actually very difficult for computers to pick up on. At its core, a Google search is about understanding language. In order to return the right information, Google doesn't just need to know the definition of the words. It needs to know what they all mean when strung together in a specific order. And that includes the smaller words, like four and two. And when you think about how many different meanings a single word can have, you start to see how writing a computer program that takes all these nuances into account is pretty tough. See, case in point, pretty here doesn't mean beautiful. It means very. More and more people talk to Google the way they think and speak. And more and more, Google is getting better at understanding what they mean. One of the biggest leaps forward in the history of search came about with the introduction of bidirectional encoder representations from transformers, or as we like to call it, BERT. BERT is a machine learning model architecture that helps Google process language and understand the context in which it appears. Search used to process a query by pulling out the words it thought were most important. For example, if you said, can you get medicine for someone pharmacy? You would have gotten general results about pharmacies and prescriptions because it would have essentially ignored the word for. But with BERT, the little words are taken into account and it changes things. Search now understands you want to know if you can pick up medicine prescribed to someone else. But how do you train a language model to pick up context? There's a big difference between knowing words and understanding meaning. The model learns context by applying the same fill-in-the-blank principles it takes to complete a Mad Libs. So we take a phrase, we hide about 20% of the input words, and then we make the computer guess the words that are missing. Over time, the model begins to understand different words have different meanings, depending on what's around them. And the order in which they appear in that text really matters. So when you search something complex, like, 
fly fishing bait to use for trout in September, Montana. Search knows all the little words are important. And because it now takes them all into account, it can tell you the perfect bait for that time of year. Bird isn't foolproof, but since implementing it in 2019, it's improved a lot of searches. We should always be able to learn about whatever we're curious about. And that's why Search will always be working to understand exactly what you're truly asking. So we covered uh, Bert back in, I think it was October 2019, 2019, episode 33, which we'll link to in the show notes. And this was when Bert first came about. It got loads of attention. And as you, you heard there, Bert stands for Bidirectional Encoder Representations from Transformers. Have to check that pretty much every time. Me too. Yeah. I see that acronym. Um, but yeah, it makes you sound dead smart. Um, there's, there's two kind of lines you can go down with Bert, which is the, hmm, let's explore what Transformers are and get knee deep in kind of machine learning. And part two with Bert is just trying to understand actually what it does, which is, which is what this primer does and has done really, really well. So I think it's a great resource to share with internal SEO teams or, or your agency, because actually I still see a lot of people misunderstanding how BERT works and that there's articles out there about how to optimize for BERT. And, you know, this, this breakthrough that Google's made as they give, you know, they gave such a brilliant example there is about understanding the relationships and context between words, what they mean in different scenarios and like the, the example they gave about um, who to pick up a, a prescription for. Yeah, I think we think about search intent so much and we talk about it as a topic in the SEO community so much, but actually having context for stuff and having the search engines understand that context like they talk about in the video, we have the like four in two, those tiny little connecting words that we often kind of like just get rid of insert. If you're thinking about it in terms of like, I'm an experienced person of searching Google, I don't need to include those tiny little words. And actually you do because that gives things a lot of context. I know a lot of search terms you'll see don't include those words by default. If you're looking at some of your like keyword research tools and stuff like that, you'll notice these weirdly structured sentences that are missing those little connecting tools. And what Bert does is use those words and creates and understands the context around them to build a better understanding of the sentence you're actually searching for. Yeah, I joined in a conversation uh, on LinkedIn a few weeks ago, the, the font of all SEO knowledge. And someone was saying basically that words like to, from, the, and a were stop words and that search engines didn't pay any attention to them. And they didn't even index them, which is obviously balmy because you can literally see them in the cache, but they were yes. saying they don't use them at all. And, you know, that couldn't did, be... Did Google make this video in response to that person on LinkedIn? Like, <laughs> yeah, by the right. way, we've built an entire machine learning structure around these specific things. And I, I just think it's really important to appreciate that when, when you're doing this kind of research, because it has actually got Google a lot closer. You know, they refer to this, um, Bert, as a breakthrough. And that's, you know, what it is. I think at the time it was around about, they estimated around 10 odd percent of English query language, lang um, language queries it was going to affect, which is obviously a huge amount. Of, yeah, 10% doesn't sound like much. But as we've talked about a couple of times on the show already, 
when you're talking about billions, if not trillions of sets of data, 10% is a lot. You and can't underestimate that. I think from a practical point of view, the, the knowledge of, okay, this is what BERT does is important because it moves Google closer to, it was like over 10 years ago, they made this statement about they're moving towards things, not strings, which is when they were starting talking about entities. But BERT allows them to move further away from strings, which means now I see lots of pages ranking for queries where sometimes that string isn't on the page or you know isn't in the title but it's the same intent because they've kind of gone backwards and worked out it means roughly the same thing and that was a cool detail i thought was in this video about the mad libbing yes yes so the the removal of the words and guessing what should be there because we were having a play around with the gpt3 uh, playground the other day and we were really impressed about incredibly impressed yeah how that was formulating answers and that was kind of what that was doing it was working out which words yeah. should be in those gaps the the GPT-3 thing had a, it was an option to like add context to result or something like that it was a tick box. And you could have just the answer. So it would just say Jack Chambers as the answer. Or it would say the ho one of the hosts of Search with Canada is Jack Chambers. And you would have, you can tell it to like give you a full sentence structure. And I think, yeah, you're, to you're totally right, Mark, that we're getting, I think Google is getting closer towards that. They're, they're aiming for the how people are speaking in real life is actually how people are searching now as well. And they specifically say that, as you heard in, in the video, people search how they speak more and more as you know people are getting used to using search engines on a daily basis. Even if you're not working in the SEO community, you're probably using Google multiple times a day yourself, just you know in your everyday life, shopping for your own work outside of the SEO community, all that kind of stuff as well. I think this will be a big part as well in, it was May 20, I want to say 2020. It might have been 2021. Big difference there. But the Google uh, mum update. Pandemic, time is a flat circle. <laughs> 2020 and 2021 basically didn't exist. They, they, do, fit, they do kind of merge for Yeah, me. pretty much. Um, but the Google mum update, which is essentially around Google being able to pull together several different sources of information and essentially write the, the answer itself because it understands the context of the question and it understands the you know the nuance of the answer and that nuanced answer might not be present for that very specific query on one page so it will just go okay well I know these things and I know how to write sentences as we saw even with GPT-3 which I imagine is not as good as what Google's using and they could just generate that answer. I've seen a couple of examples um, of mum being used now in the wild but nothing on any kind of scale yet. But I think that's definitely where we're, we're going with that. So a quick little update about page experience rolling out for desktop. I know we covered this before and you're probably sick of hearing it by now. It will hopefully be completed by the end of March. That's pretty much the update from Google at this point. We're getting there, it's happening, and it's slowly rolling out for desktop. You probably have already noticed it in your Google Search Console. You can now see a desktop option comparing to your mobile options. And yeah, it should hopefully be fully rolled out by the end of March. I am super excited about this. Really? Because, okay. Yes, because there are so many rubbish websites that <laughs> rank well, <coughs> Forbes. Um, and I'm interested to see how these sites, so I pick on Forbes there. Forbes has a lot of stuff going on. 
to put it lightly. <laughs> and they're like my canary in the page experience mine. <laughs> so I'm really interested in seeing, you know, sites like Forbes. There's, you know, there's some sites that, you know, cover search engine type news as well that are quite pop up and CLS. I have um, no idea what you're talking about. Mark. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really interested to see if Google can help clean up the web a bit. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, and it, it's good that we've got kind of like a deadline now. Deadlines always instigate action. And hopefully people weren't ignoring the page experience stuff from desktop. Um, you know, when I communicated page experience stuff, I, you know, unless someone specifically asked whether it was just mobile, I just kind of presented it as why don't we just make a good website yeah. and try and fix everything at once. Why not cover both? But um, yeah, so it, yes, it's a short update that, you know, it, it, the Google search central tweet was the page, ex the page experience update is now slowly rolling out for desktop. It will be complete by the end of March 2022. So you have T minus five weeks to <laughs> sort your stuff out if you haven't already. But of course, you already definitely have. Haven't you? So we've touched on a few plugin updates over the last few weeks. We talked about Yoast, moving over to Shopify. We've talked about a few WordPress bits and pieces. And actually a vulnerability in the Updraft Plus plugin on WordPress potentially compromised over 3 million installations worldwide. Very interesting thing. If you've suddenly noticed some issues happening on your site and you have Updraft Plus installed, it's probably done an auto-update because they also forced an auto-update upon you to kind of fix this issue. It's really rare that WordPress actually does that, which is incredibly rare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pushes kind of updates down down your throat. <laughs> but this one obviously was quite serious. Updraft Plus, for those that don't know, is a is a backup. It's a really really good actually backup uh, plugin for WordPress. I've used it before on my sites, and it allows you to do things like sync your whole site, including databases, on a scheduled job to things like Google Drive. So really really nice place to to keep your backups. We've got a note here from Automatics Jetpack, who discovered it during an audit. They're, they're a security researcher, and they discovered two previously unknown vulnerabilities. The first was related to how Updraft Plus, their security tokens, called N-Onces, could be leaked. This allowed an attacker to obtain the backup, including the N-Once. According to WordPress, N-Onces are not supposed to be the main line of defense against hackers, so there's a vulnerability there. It explicitly states that functions should be protected by properly validating who has the proper credentials by using the function called current user can is an exact direct quote from WordPress here. Nwances can never be relied on for authentication, authorization, or access control. Protect your functions using current user can and always assume Nwances can be compromised. That's the first vulnerability. The second vulnerability was tied to an improper validation of a registered user role, precisely what WordPress wants that developers should take steps to lock down in plugins. So sounds like the Updraft Plus people made a, an issue there as well. Jetpack describes it as, unfortunately, the Updraft Plus admin may be download backup from email method, which is hooked to the admin in it, didn't directly validate users' roles either. While it did apply some checks indirectly, such as checking the page now, global variable, past research has shown that this variable can contain arbitrary user input. Bad actors could use this endpoint to download file and database backups based on the information they leaked from the aforementioned heartbeat bug. It's a lot of technical stuff, but basically it's been fixed. 
but it was a fairly significant compromising situation for Updraft Plus, as I said, across 3 million installations around the world. Yeah, we don't usually cover security stuff on the podcast. We've we've covered before a couple of WordPress vulnerabilities, mainly because I know a lot of the SEOs that listen to this show will be dealing with sites that are running WordPress because it's such a, a popular platform. And actually, the the reason lots of sites get compromised now is related, unfortunately, to SEO, which is that lots of sites will have links injected. It's really common um, to when, if if sites do get compromised to see kind of this cloaking thing that happens where the site still looks fine, but then your results sometimes look weird in Google. And what's happening is there's the kind of the hacked version of the site is being shown to search engines, which then links off to, well, to wherever normally um, a lot of these sites are actually kind of parts of networks of people that are selling links. And, you know, when these kind of vulnerabilities get published, how how that kind of then works is it they just need to write a script to basically scan for these vulnerabilities and they just take sites down as they go, which is, again, with this kind of severity of vulnerability, why WordPress is, is pushing the these these um these updates on people and it is just i think the classic wordpress problem of you know the plugins you own end up owning you <laughs> and that's that meaning that you know wordpress itself the core wordpress is actually really secure um it's really decent almost every security problem i have seen with wordpress is related to plugins because you've got that environment where um, I mean, how many plugins were on the site you were working on the other day? It was 60-something. 60 63, yeah. 63 plugins. Yes, uh, that's 63 active currently running plugins, not 63 in the library that are available to use, 63 active plugins on that site. That was, that was fun. You dare not press the update all button. <laughs> Just absolutely crash that website. This is the thing. So, you know, you've got... This is something I think SEOs and anyone needs to be aware of if, you, if you're running WordPress, which is, you know, in that case, you've got potentially 63 separate third parties that are then responsible for, you know, by proxy, the security of your site. And like you say, it can be scary pressing that update all button <laughs> because those plugins not only have to be updated to work with whatever updates core WordPress is getting, but sometimes they can actually conflict with each other as well. Th that's the main thing I've seen in my experience with WordPress sites is clashing plugins trying to do the same thing or a similar thing on the same page and then what you update one and it crashes the other one because it's not been updated and all that kind of thing i know i got into the habit of when i was you know more active on wordpress sites back in the day of making sure i went through each plugin update that just double check everything's fine just reload the page make sure the site is okay then update the next plugin i got into the habit of not pressing the update all button but I, I kind of am a bit obsessed with keeping everything up to date. I do it on my phone as well. I make sure all of my apps are up to date. I do like a daily check of all my apps and games and stuff on my phone and my and my laptop as well. And I think I, that comes from my habit with the experience with WordPress sites in the past of just making sure everything is up to date as it can be to try and avoid stuff like this. Daily? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a bit of an OCD thing for me. I didn't know you were that parent. Right? <laughs> Daily. That's impressive. The amount of like games and apps and stuff I have on my phone, I often have like 25 updates required. Welcome to my obsessions, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so 
to to be on the safe side, if you want to be on the kind of Jack's safe side of the fence here, if you were running Updraft Plus, this publication says that obviously it was a previously unknown vulnerability. I'd point out it's a previously unknown vulnerability publicly. It doesn't mean that someone didn't already know this. So if I was in your shoes, if you have Updraft Plus, it might be worth just cycling your credentials for all of your logins because there is a small chance that someone has them somewhere. You know, and this this does sometimes happen where, you know, if people do discover these kind of zero day things that, you know, not everyone's a good actor that's then going to tell everyone about it. If if you know something like this that nobody else knows, that's the best time to exploit it. There isn't any evidence that's happened in the world, but it doesn't take long. So if I was running up Draft Plus, I would definitely now just, you know, change all my admin passwords, change the user logins, and then you don't have really anything to worry about. Yep. Just if you are running update Draft Plus free, it was before the 1.22.3 update. And if you're running the premium version, it is the 2.223 version so make sure you're updated past those versions and you should be okay like we said wordpress did force an update through which is very unusual so you should already be covered on that but as you say mark it's worth just double checking making sure your admin passwords are secure and sorted just in case as i mentioned at the top of the show we are sponsored by citrix and this week i want to talk about citrix academy there are now two parts to Systrix Academy, which is available for free. You can go and sign up there by going to systrix.com slash academy. Nice and easy URL there. The first part is keyword research, which is about 50 minutes long. It's a full guided video tour using real life examples, real life keywords, actual data using the Systrix tools and things like that. And then part two that was released this month is a competitor analysis, which runs a little bit longer at 70 minutes. So you can find yeah, a full video tour done by Systrix's own Steve Payne. He goes through the, how to identify your competitors, examining those competitors using Systrix's tool. So understanding website structures, getting an idea of the keywords your competitors are ranking for, understanding their links, and then really drilling down into what you can do to outrank your competitors and do better. And funnily enough, I think it kind of ties into our sector watch discussion we had last week where we were talking about how you get a little glimpse into the data of other competitors. This is the kind of thing, if you really want to learn how to use Systrix's tools and you have an idea of who's competing with you in your sector, you can drill down into their keywords, into their sites and get an idea of who's doing what in a good way and who's doing what in a bad way and how you can beat them to the punch in rankings. That's systrix.com academy and you can get a free two-part academy guide for keyword research and competitor analysis using Systrix's tool. And to end off the show, we have an update on Google Merchant Center, which I am, again, lots of things I'm really excited about in this episode. <laughs> so this email uh, went around to people using Google Merchant Center that says, we are introducing the shopping experience scorecard program in order to measure the level of customer experience you provide. The goal of the program is to reward businesses who provide an excellent customer experience with increased visibility in the shopping tab. The metrics being measured by the Shopping Experience Scorecard program are one, delivery time, two, shipping cost, three, return cost, or return window. 
based on your performance in the metrics above, your listings may be eligible for one, a boost in ranking, two, a badge, and three, other benefits that will help consumers find your business. The badge does feel a bit blue petery, doesn't it? It's like, <laughs> and you get a badge as well. Like, yay, thanks, Google. And they end up saying, Note that you will not be penalized if you don't offer a certain level of customer experience or if you don't link some or all of the metrics to your merchant center account. So initial, my initial reaction to this was actually, I don't know if you remember if it, if it was last episode or the episode before I was talking about my dismay of finding cool stuff like on Instagram but then having to try and work out if the seller was actually legit. Yeah. Because the, you know, the Google ads experience or ads experience is separate from the kind of digital footprint of those companies, their reputation. And I said, I was trying to find review websites. So this is, I guess, in a way, kind of like how you have eBay that collect feedback on sellers on delivery time and, and, and things like that. Um, and pulling that into that shopping experience, which as a as a user, as a shopper, I, I'm looking forward to that, I think. Again, we've had previous discussions on the podcast, uh, like with, with Lily Ray when she came on, around Google looking at the kind of aspects of companies that people actually like and want to recommend. So apart from the very classical okay, let's look at the link graph. And the reason we're looking at a link graph is because that is a, an expression of how people feel about something, i.e. lots of people citate it or people we trust citate it, therefore it's good. But when maybe we're talking, um, and for those of you that follow me on Twitter will see I, I moaned just this week on Twitter, it's what I do, um, about two e-com experiences I had, which was Someone had bought me a T-shirt for a secret Santa. I didn't have any receipt or anything like that. It had the label on. I emailed the company and I was like, hey, it's the wrong size. I haven't worn it. Do you mind if I exchange it with you? I've got no proof of purchase. And they were like, yeah, sure. No worries. Post it back. And another company that we'd spent quite a bit of money with, we'd bought... A, a long-time regular customer with this company. Yeah, we, we'd, we'd bought um, 11 of one item and they all matched. And basically we bought another one and it... It came out, came as a different color. And they were adamant that that's how the website was when we bought it. And we were just like, well, look, can we have the money back? And they were like, no, because it's your fault. And, you know, that for me now as a customer, I'm like, well, I don't like them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to be interesting, especially, you know, Google is offering a, um, you know, this boost in ranking. And if there's one way to get people, <laughs> if there's one way to get websites to do something, I'm thinking like HTTPS um, or Core Web Vitals. It's offered them a potential boost in ranking to do that. So really interesting how all these things are going to tie in, especially things like, um, I don't know what your thoughts are around um, delivery, uh, shipping cost, because shipping cost is an interesting one dealing with e-com because I know for a fact some sites will bundle in kind of shipping costs elsewhere in their price and yeah, then definitely. offer quote you know free shipping yeah that can be difficult to do with paid ads because paid ads generally just show you the price of the item so if you strip out the shipping it's kind of stopping you doing that trick of being like oh look it's five pounds cheaper here and then you go to buy it and actually it's eight pounds shipping where the other <laughs> site where it was five pounds more the shipping's free yeah yeah um, i think interestingly 
talking about shipping speed and available return windows and stuff like that. I, I, I think seeing shipping cost is a thing, like you said, Mark, you, you notice straight away when you're shopping. But a return window is not something I kind of actively think about when I'm shopping. Maybe that's my fault for not, you know, looking into the details enough. But thinking about how that could actually be actively, you know, shown on a on a page and say, no, this is actually an important thing. And it's kind of something I feel a lot of people, including myself, underestimate as an important factor when you're shopping somewhere. And having shipping speed, shipping cost, return cost as well, because... Again, I know we were talking about about the pandemic, but you know it's a thing that's been happening for the last two years. Returning items and buying things online without being able to try them on has become such a big factor over the last two years for online shopping. Return costs and return windows are now more important than ever because more people are buying stuff. You can't go into a shop and just try a new pair of shoes on or try a new t-shirt on. Perfect example for you, Mark, Secret Santa stuff where you can't try... Oh, I, I'm not quite sure what size Mark is, but... I'll just guess it's this, and it may be a size too small, size too large. But having that opportunity to return something for for free, or you know, at an affordable, a fair cost, I assume there's some factors in here of kind of understanding what the average cost to return or ship that item is across industries and stuff like that. So, like you said, if somebody's oh, we're selling this thing for five pounds, but it's actually fifteen pounds shipping, and somebody else sells it for fifteen, but with free shipping how we're kind of balancing that i think that's it, it may shift the way people are handling presenting themselves on, on ads and things like that i don't know how long they've been doing it for but i did actually notice uh the other day i was just looking to to get some like shorts some sports shorts of amazon and they had an option which was allowing you to basically have the stuff for free and then just pay for what you keep so oh interesting you, yeah, okay yeah um which i don't know if that's new because i have like an annual clothes shop but, yeah, so there's there's services that have done that before. They have like I'm trying to think what they were called. It was like threads or something like that back in the day. I say back in the day, so like four or five years ago and I was looking into this, where you work with a person who does who work basically works as like your style guru and you're like, What do you like? Do you like wearing red? Do you like wearing blue? Do you wear t shirts? Do you wear jeans? Do you wear suits for work? All this kind of stuff. And they would basically send you a monthly box of stuff. And if you don't want to pay for it you don't keep it you just send the box back to them or whatever you keep you pay for as part of that subscription and yeah sounds like you can do that kind of stuff as well where again it, we're in the age of online shopping especially for things like clothes people are not going into shops and trying things on because people don't have time for that stuff these days you know i barely have time to do stuff in the evenings after working doing podcasting all this kind of stuff and then you know cooking and <laughs> feeding me and my partner. I don't have time after work to go out and, you know, go to Primark or H&M or Next or wherever it is and shop for stuff. So shopping online is pretty key for a lot of people who are busy now in, in you know, in the 21st century, especially in now sort of, sort of post-pandemic, but current pandemic, whatever we're calling this weird period we're in now. I had, the, I had this exact argument with someone and actually there, there are a lot of people that it turns out had the opposite view in terms of they saw that like going out clothes shopping as like a leisure activity. Oh, which, interesting. Which, which for me, I'm like, what? <laughs> it's, it's like a chore. <laughs> but apparently, yeah, lots of people not like me who absolutely love doing that. Um, I actually tried that. I, I think it was called Thread. It's called Thread, that site. right? Yeah, I tried that because, um, yeah, I need help, uh, basically. <laughs> and I tried that. 
and it recommended some clothes which I would just never wear. So I decided I was just broken from a fashion point of view. <laughs> I never actually got it. It just generated some results for me. And I was like, that's not me. <laughs> it is called Thread, ladies and gentlemen. That, that is confirmed. We're not sponsored by them. I'm not endorsing Thread. There's other ones like Stitch Fix and, and a few other things where you can do a similar kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's becoming more and more common where people are buying stuff without being able to try it on. And I think it's interesting to going, you know, more directly into the Google documentation here and talking about how they'll give you a rating for stuff. I wonder at the moment they're saying we will not penalize you, blah, 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 blah. Eventually, will they roll the negative side of that and the drawbacks of that if, if you do not connect this up? Because we've seen that in many different tools over, over many years from Google and seeing how they start off with like, yeah, if you'd like to do this thing, it's an optional thing to give you a little bit of a boost. And then two, three, four, five, six months, a year, two years down the line, eventually it becomes you need to put this thing and you don't have a choice and it's connected to your account. And if you don't do it, you will be penalized. And if you get bad reviews and just choose to not put them on there, tough, it's connected automatically. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this develops. I think you're totally right, Mark. This is a good thing that's kind of exciting in the initial kind of run, but could turn negatively down the run for people who don't have good shipping costs, good return costs and that kind of thing as well. Yeah, there's um, when, when they say you won't be penalized. So a penalty would always really anyway be in context to how other people are ranking. But if you're giving one set of people a boost and not other people, a little bit like kind, a penalty kind of, yeah. anyway. I, th um, I think the term penalty is thrown around a lot in SEO and especially related to when you're looking at Google and, and that and, you know, looking on search console for like manual actions and penalties and all that kind of stuff. That's a very specific phrase and people is thrown around a lot. But what what is not gaining something that other people have, if not being penalized, basically, yeah. by definition, it's very similar. But I think Google wants to have that very clear definition of that phrase of we are actively, you know, affecting your ranking possibility negatively rather than everyone else is getting a positive and you're being left in the dust. That's your problem, not our problem kind of thing. The, the other thing that crossed my mind with this is recently Google started using the Merchant Center feeds for adding some organic listings into their shopping. And at the time we were saying this might be to expand their inventory. so their kind of shopping vertical becomes a little bit more competitive to Amazon in that, you know, Amazon has huge inventory. Google Shopping with just paid people has big gaps in their inventory and they don't want people going straight to Amazon to shop. They want people to use Google Shopping. So if they can get that structured data, even if people aren't paying to be listed, it, it's good for Google. It's, it's like a win-win for them in terms of they get to take a bigger bite out of Amazon. What isn't clear about this and i will endeavor to find out is if any of this shopping experience could then be tied into the organic visibility of these products as well so if they work out okay well you know they've got that structured data of even if you're not paying for ads uh, this is the company this is the products if you can link up that other information as well oh okay it does that is that going to increase your potential organic visibility and that ties into what Valentin Plitzer brought up last week. We mentioned a tweet from him recently saying about how Google is encouraging people to review stuff. It was the, do you own this? Could you review it, please? 
I think this is becoming such a key thing for Google, both organically and on the paid side of things, where they want users to tell them, they want that data, they want users to tell them, this is a good product, this is a good, you know, experience when it comes to the shipping and the returns and things like that. This is a good seller, this is a good shop, whatever it is. I think this is in heading in a similar direction from that other kind of point of view, right? We've already got some clients now that are um, signed up for this shopping scorecard. Mm. So we'll follow up, I think, in a few episodes when we know a bit more. Yeah, definitely. That's all we've got time for in this episode. Thank you for joining and listening. We'll be back in one week's time, which will be Monday, the 7th of March. And until then, from Jack and myself, have a lovely week.